All right, so we're live on there. So, um, all right, so let's just make sure that we are. There we are. We're on live. If you go to my uh, thing, it says, Hi, Freight Season 4. Ryan Phillips is our guest. Join us as we speak to a legend who's a huge advocate for mental health. He's filming a TV show about his life and his path to redemption. Right, so let's Let's give... It looks good. You can see it. Yep. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. So it's going to give people just a little bit of time to get on. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can see when people come on. I have no idea, but for now, yeah, you'll probably see the counter, the counter on the top left with the little eye there. There you go. Oh, is there? Is there one up there? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Cool. Uh, So welcome everybody. High phrase live, dude. This is. We're stepping it up and level in two ways tonight, right? One, we're doing our first live stream, uh, StreamYard podcast here on StreamYard.com. And two, we're leveling up having our uh, great guest on tonight, who's Ryan Phillips, is a good friend of mine, uh, who is, dude, I'm going to throw it out there. You know, there's a lot of people that are heroes in the world, and people throw around the word hero very loosely nowadays. There's a lot of fucking weird heroes, but you, dude, are seriously on that hero level for the things that you've done in life. And we're going to get to that in just a moment, okay? But Arif, bro, it's been like almost a week <laughs> and a half since I've seen you. It has been. Okay? It's been a long time since we did High Freeze Live. Last time I saw you, you were uh, you were ready to shoot um, shirts out of a cannon. Yeah, I was. I was. And now I'm still doing that. Tubbs wants to actually borrow the shirt gun. Very nice. Very nice. So I want you to, you know Ryan. Uh, yes. You know, probably about 50% you know of Ryan, right? You know of him. You've seen him online and stuff. I want you to ask him the first question. Yeah, I, 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 I got I got to be honest, man. Um, you have by far one of the most interesting life stories that I've ever heard outside of Mike's life story. And um, we kind of got a little bit into it the last time we had a chance to sit down and talk. But um, I think you mentioned something really important, and that is the hockey culture. Uh, And I want to ask you about this for a couple of reasons, but primarily because I have a lot of family members that have young kids that are um, wanting to be hockey players and get into the sport and really push themselves and take them to the next level. Um, and they have all kind of given me the same idea and story and feelings about what hockey is like for brown kids um, and what the sport is like and how coaches approach them and how the teams approach them and the kind of treatment that they get. Um, when did you first make your way into playing hockey? Great question, uh, by the way. That's a great question, dude. You know, That's and, a really good one. So the, there's a reason why the shadows behind me, my apologies in advance, is because I'm doing shadow work right now from the trauma that I actually took on when, uh, during my hockey career. So, uh, oh, wow. you know, look, it, it, hockey has now become, a, a, it's, a, it's a massive business that generates, mm-hmm. you know, billions of dollars in revenue a year. You know, yeah. it's basically like an Illuminati it's a, it, it's, you know, it's a cult. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to knock down what I think is the best game on earth. I love it. I absolutely mm-hmm. love it. Um, you know, put that with golf because uh, with golf, you're your own boss, you know, have, you know, 
sometimes uh, the ramifications if you're a, a bad boy uh, to get to, you know certain treatment uh, by coaches and teammates, you know, the hazing and all that kind of stuff that goes along with it. So I think it's really important, you know, if you're sending a, a young kid, uh, you know, away on his, you know, for his first year, say to junior hockey, you know, the gateway to the NHL is to play yeah. junior first. And, you know, mm-hmm. I left home at, at 16, I was supposed to leave at, at 15, but I was way too young, uh, talent wise, good to go all, all the way. Uh, but mm-hmm. mentally, um, I didn't know how to keep up mentally to guys that were playing games and, you know, yeah, look, my life's an open book, getting pissed mm-hmm. on, getting thrown in the back of a, uh, you know, a, a, a bus with eight other guys in a sweat box, you know, and you got all your yeah. clothes tied up and you can't come out. Uh, it was the gong show. Everybody, we, all the rookies all ended up in the back of the bus in this disgusting act and the coach would turn a blind eye all the drinking that was going on, uh, you know, behind the scenes, um, you know, but even before that, but, you know, before that, um, you know, there was a minor hockey coach that, you know, had me over tying fish hooks at his place one day. And uh, he's like, have you ever been passed out? I said, no. Well, next thing I know, I wake up and my pants were down to my ankles. Now, look, it happens in all cultures and all walks of life, but like guys like, you know, Theron Flurry. Uh, and Sheldon Kennedy, uh, you know, a lot of people have been coming out, you know, about certain coaches, you know, not yeah. just the Canadian Hockey League, but just all round, you know, with the abuse. And sure. To me, that's got to stop. Yeah, yeah. How do you think, where do you think the approach begins? So you get all these young kids that have, you know, stars in their eyes, they want to be superstars. Hockey, I find, is a game where when you're committed from a young age, it becomes a part of your DNA. It's so much more than the sport. Like you get absorbed in the culture in a way where you can't escape it. Now they want to be, they want to make you supreme athletes, peak athletes for the, essentially the next 25 years of your career. What part of the mental is worked on as far as coaching goes? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, 90% of hockey is mental. 10% is physical. And it was, I, I was funny. I was just talking to uh, Brent Sopel who played for the Canucks for seven years. And we were talking wow, about yeah. hockey and how like, you know, we the camaraderie of the, of, of the community of hockey players. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you play junior. Everyone knows somebody that knows somebody that made it to the highest level or still is just that, you know, was in the junior level, which is still a high mm-hmm. level to make it to. And it's a different mm-hmm. breed. And, and, you know, you, you become conditioned, you know, in a, with a certain mentality it's, you know, you're, you're part of a team. The only way that team's going to win is if everybody's in harmony with it, with, with, with a unit. Mm-hmm. And that unit has to be working like a, a well-oiled machine, just like the Edmonton Oilers, like that guy uh, was on stream. <laughs> like uh, Julian Tuesday, yes. I'm a huge Conor McDavid fan. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, getting back to your question, it's like, you just, it's such a game of unpredictability. You know, yeah. um, and it's one of those things, too, where you're having to use your six, six senses all the time. You have to know where you have to know where a dozen people are on the ice at all time counting yourself. Yeah. You know, and if you don't, then you're going to lose. And then if you yeah. lose, there's always a price to pay, whether or yeah. not it's, uh, you know, getting bag skated the next day or, you know, whatever it is. But it's like it's it's a funny game. I, I, I you know, I. I look back on it. It taught me so much about life, about mm-hmm. people, 
and yeah. um, about about just uh, how a person can become a commodity. That like once you get get to a certain level, the number on your back might as well be a dollar sign. Fact. It's so true. They just pimp these guys out uh, in hockey. Like, and if you think about now, the pressure that is on these kids, because even when they tell them, like, okay, you're getting into hockey, well, only, you know, X percent, small percent of actual people make it in the game. And so there's yeah. that pressure. And then once you're on the ice, there's the pressure to stay on the ice. Like, it's not like a fun game. It's not like you, when you look at the NBA, like these guys playing in the NBA, they're shooting around, they're, you know, having fun with it. They have fun practices and shit. It's not really like that in hockey. Hockey culture no. is like extreme pressure. You must be good or you're going fucking home, right? Or down to the minors. Well, I mean, that's like my dream was to play with Wayne Gretzky. I love the way that Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux played the game. It was so oh, Lemieux, yeah. You know, it was just like creative geniuses yeah. on a yeah. canvas of ice it was like artwork and sure. i was always i was always in art in school so i really loved the way that like wayne Gre- I, I i was the guy that would i love to score goals but just as much probably 10 times more i love to get to get the assists you know i i, I love mm-hmm. passing the puck where like a, a no look pass or something like that would make me feel so good to do yeah. something like that like and like yeah. flip it over another guy's stick see it land on mm-hmm. it like a saucer pass and then boom, it's in the back of the net. And the adrenaline rush you get through that, there's nothing in this world that I like playing in front of 15,000 fans and you score a goal, or you assist on a goal, your team wins, which is yeah. also more, and that's the most important thing of all. And the, mm-hmm. and, the, and the crowd is going fucking nuts. And it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, I have to say, you know, um, if I could have done it any other way, because I got asked uh, a few times recently, um, after your first concussion, would you have quit? I said, yeah, I probably would have. How but many concussions have you had? Uh, 50 plus concussions. Mine are 50 all. plus? plus? Yeah. Five zero? Five zero plus. Jesus yeah, so. Christ. That's yeah. crazy, man. Just, what position did you play? I, well, I played uh, all four positions, but, you know, I also, off the ice, probably took at least 20. And, and I, I also played lacrosse. I played soccer. Oh, jeez! Um, you know, so yeah. lacrosse is savage. Well, I was a bit of a, a a bit of a maniac, you know, when I was when I was younger. <laughs> if you had kids, Ryan, would you? Well, you do have a daughter, but I mean, yeah. if you had a boy, would you put them in professional sports? Uh, golf, just golf. Yeah. Just golf. <laughs> My partner Al is on right here. He's a fucking golfer. And anything garbage. that's not detrimental to messing their head up, basically. Mm. Golf yeah. pretty so soft. What, so what was your what was your exit? When when did you realize it was not it was not in your future to be in the NHL? Um, I would have to say uh, what happened probably was, um, you know, um, I was playing in Kansas, and um, I had a daughter. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, look, I'm 21 years old, 21 years old right now. Uh, I started moving weed across the border at 20 and it was making more in a week than I would in a full year of playing hockey. And I was like, I got two choices. You know, I can like be a dad to this kid and like really provide and just do this for a short amount of time mm-hmm. or keep playing hockey. Well, I kept playing hockey, but in the summertime, I'd, I'd go home and I'd run my weed business. Mm-hmm. So um, but I guess, you know, what, what shut the door was prison, 
you know, like, you know, end up getting locked up in 2002 for conspiracy to import 103 pounds. And, Ooh. you know, that was kind of that, that put the, the nails on the coffin, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Hero uh, should have been to uh, marijuana kingpin. Yeah. But this right. is this is that's this is when cannabis was like totally bust out later with you, Ali. This, this is when cannabis was totally illegal, though, right? It, it, pardon me. This is when cannabis was totally illegal. Yeah, you know, I was it was mid nineties, and you know, I figured out that it was a good idea since mm-hmm. I was like one of the early pioneers. Uh, I wasn't a grower, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I had lots of connections down in the United States because of hockey. And, um, so it's funny to think this, I'm going to interrupt you, Ryan, because I gotta, I gotta tell them it's like, it's funny to think this, but Ryan here was truly a pioneer in the world of marijuana back in the nineties. So to all the kids out there who didn't experience nine 11 because they weren't Mm -hmm. born yet before all that, there was a very lucrative and, uh, and it's somewhat easy drug business. Like, Back in those days, right, it was like anybody could do it. If you just had a little bit of like, <laughs> if you had a little bit of gusto, you just were like, yeah, I'm going to get up and go and become a drug dealer. You could literally do that. There was no violence. There was no shootouts. Well, there was it, nothing, right? I mean, there was. There there was. And the people that I rolled with, yeah, they did. And, you know, those people, they're the most, they're all dead now. They're all dead. They and so, um, you know, uh, the big the big weed dealers hung out with the big coke dealers. Anyone who was making big money hung out with people that were making big money. Yeah. And, you know, and I wanted to be that guy that made, I was very competitive, you know, like <laughs> with, with hockey and whatnot, whatever. And I was like, well, I got to be the, the biggest weed, weed smuggler. Like no one could be sending more than me. There's no way. Not me and my crew. You know, my crew is going to be sending the most bud down, the best market in New York, the best market in Chicago, the best market all the way down the West Coast from Washington to Portland, you know, all the way down to Los Angeles and so forth. You know, like like realistically, at one point, I know, you know, uh, in the heyday, so to speak, you know, uh, right before the gang war broke out in 2008 with those uh, that situation, so to speak, um, <laughs> if you're buying my weed in the in the USA, uh, probably 80% chance it was, it was, uh, you know, uh, I had a, a bit of an input on that <laughs> input or actually, no, I had more of an output. Listen, dude, Ryan, there's no Ryan's downplaying it. Ryan was the King of weed. He's not called the King of weed for any reason. He's downplaying everything he says, which is fine because that's what I love about you that you're a humbled individual and like you. You don't really uh, high cap, as the pimps used to say. They don't high cap in what you. So how do you, how did you guys, well, how did you guys meet? Redemption City to come out, then we can really floss. Yeah, right? man. So yes. how did how did you how did you two encounter each other? Uh, we met at the Blue Oyster Club. Uh, it's on Police Academy uh, One. It's, yeah. it's a special bar. We're, yeah, we're he, ten days apart. He was dressed as the construction worker. I was dressed as the guy in leather. Yeah. And. We fucking just hit did it, it made it. We hit it off right there. We formed a yeah. band. Yeah. We formed a band, and 
we did the YMCA fucking all over the world. And it just worked, you know. That, when, when, worked. Things, when things work, you don't want to steer too far away from them. That's the thing. Facts. Yeah. Yeah, it just right. looks, you know. But uh, it, no, it's funny because um, I thought it was a joke when National Geographic was like, oh, yeah, we want to do a movie on your life. And um, I was told that my whole life at like 26, 27, whatever, like, oh, there's going to be a movie on your life. There's going to be, I, I swear, you're, you're fucking, that life is nuts. And I was like, I didn't really think it was that nuts because I just like, kind of, pl- I, I told my mom. You were living it, yeah. Well, really, I was living it, yeah. But I was yeah. like, I only have one life, so I'm going to rip it and do the biggest and baddest shit that like no tomato. I'm just gonna go all out. I'm fucking doing this shit. Like I and that's just the way I'm gonna live my life. All extreme, yeah. all in with everything. And mm-hmm. you know, I got exactly what I asked for. Like, yeah. Exactly and more. And you know, some of the best days of my life, but obviously some of the worst days of my life because of you know when the violence came into the mix. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously you know like you know losing friends to 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 murder. Having yeah. guns pointed at your head, going to like, look, I had every, everything that was promised in that business happened to me. You know, N- number one, yeah, made a lot of money. Great. Millions mm-hmm. and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars that went through my hands. Yeah, I did. Um, but what else? Like millions, not just well, millions and millions, like hundred millions. Millions, yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, that's pretty. Um, the thing is, though, there's a price to pay with the cause and effect of that, right. which is prison happened. Okay. Uh, addiction issues happened, mm-hmm. happened because you're trying to fucking soothe the pain, soothe the pain, trying to fill this yeah. void that money can never fill. Money yeah. can never fill the hole inside you that like it's like you're self-medicating, self-medicating. And, sure. you know, the thing is, you know, with that being said, too, is the other is you either end up dead, jail or addicted to something. Yeah. And, and you're probably going to make a lot of money while you do it and have a little bit of fun. But yeah. don't, don't plan to live past 40. Yeah. <laughs> you can know, you, well, I mean, can, hey, that's it. Can you talk about it's, can you talk about what um, eventually got you put away? Uh, yeah, I, I actually, what happened was I trusted the wrong guy, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a, a pattern of mine, and uh, I was I was trying to be nice, and uh, there was a guy I played hockey with, I knew him for years, he asked me, how are you making all this money, how this, how, it's crazy, you're making all this, it's nuts, and I was on a bus, I went back and I made a comeback for the last 18 games of the year in Texas, and he's like, he just kept picking on me, asking me, asking me, asking me, asking me. And I was like, well, you know, I just get sent a little bit of herb across the line and <laughs> you know, things happen. And it was just like, it was such a game. It was so like game on, right? Like it was like, I, I could just do it whenever. Cause I had so many yeah. like trade routes. Right. And I, my intention was actually to shut her down. I had a bunch of money piled up. And I was like, I'm just going to give hockey a bit of a go for a while. I don't even need this in my life right now. I for get sure. home. First day I get home, I get, I get a phone call. You're back. You're back. You're back. Next thing you know, there's 10 of us on the Cactus Club patio in North Vancouver. Buddy wipes out doing a cartwheel on his bike, motorbike <laughs> up front. You know, we got probably, you know, a $5,000 bill piled up with liquor and the whole nine yards. And goalie boy that was with me on the bus i told him what we were doing mm-hmm. uh, the tantalization 
got the best of me and I needed a driver and he became my driver, but he also tried to steal all my connections down there as oh, he was wow. my driver and he knew where my safe house was. And so I'm, I was actually in bed with my girlfriend. It was about five in the morning. I get a phone call and he's like, the safe house got broken into. And I was partners with a very serious guy in that world at the time. They didn't know about him. And mm. so I had to have a meeting that night and, you know, a gun was pulled, fired against the, against the speaker. People were scared shitless. It was horrible. It was brutal. You know, people mm -hmm. thought they were going to get, you know, and he said, if I don't have my shit back in 24 hours, people are going to start getting clipped. And um, he's like, he's with me. He had nothing to worry about kind of thing. Da, 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 yeah. meeting, meeting me. Sure. And so later that night, after a little bit of uh, thinking, I was like, look, dude, uh, he met up with me on on Hastings. And uh, I said, we can we can cry about this. We'll get to the bottom of it. I'll, I'll do the trail. I'll, it wasn't a trail. It was a fucking bushwhack. I'm like, I'll do it with these guys to make sure nothing goes down. And we'll make our money back in one, in one shot. And so I did, I did it a couple times. And the second time we got nailed. Uh, the first time we made our money back. Crazy. Then, yeah, I was, I was like, I'm done. There's no way I'm doing it. He goes, do it with him one more time. And I did. Scary. And yeah, so we all went away for in a conspiracy to import 103 pounds. Uh, I think we got ratted out. It looked like that mm -hmm. by the driver mm -hmm. because they followed him from uh, the airport in Bellingham, which I told him to never go to. I said, always go to a different rental car place. But then I found out the last six times that he had rented a car was at the airport where I told him not to go. What year was this? What year was this? September 17th, 2000. Okay. See, wow. you know what's so ironic about this is now I, I go to a weed store and buy a joint. Well, yeah. But what's ironic about Ryan and our relationship is I was the first one in Canadian history ever charged with that crime. I was the first one. I was the I was the precedent setting case, our team. And this is the weird connection that Ryan and I have always had. We're only 10 days apart in birth, right? So 10 days later, he earlier he was born. And then now we have this as well together. And so it's only fitting that, you know, Ryan and I connected at some point in so, our life. So they used the same precedent that was used against you, against Ryan as well. Well, no, I was the precedent. I was the first and one. Then they, and then the same and thing they was would said. have used that against Ryan. They would have probably if they had, yeah. His was Damn. obviously bigger than mine. His was way right? Ryan's way bigger. But it's just Small funny how we, how we connect. Yeah, it's, right? it's very So, Ryan, you were, you were right there. Right there. Right, like literally a step away from walking away from it all. Yeah. And that's when it all crashes. Yep. And then when I was in jail, I was like, fuck you. I'm going to, you know, you guys can all sit on it. I'm going to take it to another level. And when I got out, I did. And, you know, um, a lot of good things happened and a lot of uh, really messed up things happened. Like, you know, in the, in the goods of the goods and the bads of the bads and our perceptions. Yeah. And, you know, like it allowed me to travel the world. It, it, you know, I, I was, I was able to see things that, you know, uh, only rock stars and, and, and so-called, you know, who's who in the zoo people see because I was making that kind of money. So, okay. So are you, are you a religious person at all? Uh, I'm spiritual in nature. 
So do you attribute that? Do you attribute that moment of potentially leaving clean and it not happening? Do you attribute that to karma? Do you attribute that to something that had that you had to go through? No, it was deep wisdom. It, it was deep, 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 you know, um, deep wisdom from a Japanese man who studied Eastern philosophy that did a dime piece, uh, you know, beforehand. He was 56. His, uh, he had seven aliases. He taught me a lot, all about the law of vibration in there when I was in my early 20s. Uh, you know, taught me how to tune in to source energy and whatnot. And really believed that I could take a thought and I could transmute that thought into physical reality, a thing. You know, thoughts become things. And so, uh, and then I thought about it. I pondered on that some more. And I was like, yeah, everything that I've ever thought about in my life and believed it wholeheartedly, it's always come into my experience. It's just a matter of me grasping onto it and making it my reality because it's being fed to me and through my subconscious mind. So, wow. so literally, you know, what landed my ass in the can was like, you know, so I can actually be talking in this moment of time, space, reality, which is in the, in the now, the infinite now, because it's always now the omnipotence of the, our infinite creator, you know, Allah, you know, I dream a genie, Buddha, uh, you know, if you want to study the Kabbalah, or, you know, maybe get into some Taoism. I mean, mm-hmm. like, I, I love Alan Watts. I love, I love different philosophies. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you want to get into philosophy, I'm in the philosophy of, of, of human beings that, mm-hmm. and what they're doing to each other right now. And Facts. I'm not cool with it. I'm not yeah. cool with it at all. And that's like Mike said, I'm, you know, I'm not a mental health advocate. I'm not. I'm not at all. You want to know what? I, I, I like to believe I try to be the best I can be. And, and, and we talk about redemption. Redemption is the forgiveness of sin. I fucked up a lot in my life and I've hurt a lot of people. Yeah. But today I try to be the best version of myself. I, I've been yeah. the narcissist. I've been the manipulator. I've been the joker. I've been the fool. I've been the magician. I've been, I've been the wheel of fortune. It doesn't fucking matter. But the only thing that really matters is present moment reality. Our, our, mm-hmm. our, soul, our sole purpose is to be conscious in every moment and, and, and have that inner knowing that the universe has our back, even through the pain. And so right now, like, you know, this whole TV series that we did, Mike's involved with this as well. And it's just going to keep perpetuating into a movement. And that's what happens with flow. Once you get the flow going and you get the footage going with everything that you need, you know, very blessed. Mike Golden was a star of the show. Um, And then, uh, you know, we got um, uh, Elvis Stoiko, who was the uh, Elvis Stoiko's in it. You know, uh, we got Theron. Canadian legend. Uh, Theron Fleury that played for the Calgary Flames, my parents, neuroscientists, uh, my psychiatrists. Uh, I mean, everything, what I would say, mental health to me is society. Okay, put it this way. They say mental illness. I don't like that term. First of all, I like normalize mental health. And then two, I like not mental illness society illness because we're being overstimulated by the phone we're being overstimulated by this 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 yeah this. lots of distraction it's, it's too much information for the broadcasting mm-hmm. and receiving station to take in to tune yeah. into you know so we get no wonder that that's why everybody's goddamn add these days pretty yeah. much 
and why also like everyone's got anxiety and why nobody gets things done and why you know like it's so crazy because back in our day if you wanted to get something done you focus you go hard and people recognize you for what you do and then you get ahead and nowadays you go hard you don't get recognized for anything you do because there's so many other people out there doing everything yeah everything's everything's so distracted right yeah it makes you almost lose faith in humanity and then you want and then then it takes like you know uh, someone yeah. stupid enough to think that they can make a change like me. And, and I, I, I like to challenge myself. And, you know, that was one of the reasons why I wrote across Canada and uh, five countries in 2019. Yeah, let's, let's, let's get into that a little bit. So I, I just want to answer Zach's question quickly. He said, what crime? Um, essentially the largest cannabis dealer um, in potentially North America at that time. So just let Zach just so Zach knows exactly where we're going. Um, yeah, I want to I right. get into Go that. Go National that's... Geographic, Zach, and want, uh, type in the king of weed on National Geographic, and you can see yours truly. And, it, it'll uh, be and very then, uh, interesting. But let's. I want I want to kind of share your scope, because I think it's way more important to see what you've done after as yeah. opposed to what you've done prior to. So um, just riding across the country, um, mind-blowing attempt, a mind-blowing feat to complete where did this thinking come from that you were even going to attempt this? Well, I, I realized through action is the most awareness that you can absolutely attain. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I realized that at a lot, a lot younger than when I, when I went, when I went across Canada, yeah. um, when I was in 2012, uh, I rode my bicycle across Southeast Asia in Cambodia uh, for the purpose of helping with the eradication of child sex slavery. Wow. And, um, you know, we went to all kinds of shelters and brothels and helped kids out and did the best we could to be of service, you know, and, and do something greater than, 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 than yourself. You for know, sure. like not, not that there's anything greater than you, but I think you know, just, just stepping out of the way and helping people that you have the opportunity to help. And that's yeah. what we did. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was really cool. After three weeks of riding across Cambodia, it just so happened that the Department of Homeland Security ran the organization that I was doing the cycle for. And um, they found out that one of Canada's uh, bigger uh, marijuana smugglers back in the day uh, was doing good deeds. <laughs> and they don't like that and, shit. And they, they, they gave me a full pardon back down. The impossible became possible. Wow. I got a pardon for, uh, as, a, as a humanitarian for uh, business and for pleasure. So that, that wow. it, it, it opened up a lot, a lot of doors. So yeah. clean, clean record, a clean, completely clean record. Yes. Yeah, they expunged wow. It. What is it called? That's incredible. What's that? They expunged it. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's just done. That's fucking awesome. So that's well, amazing. Yeah. Congratulations, oh, man. That's, that's huge. That was like, you know, I still try to wrap my head around it sometimes because I wrote it down on a piece of paper exactly how it was going to be. And it basically happened exactly how I wrote it down. I, I, it was a blueprint pattern that I, I basically imprinted it into my mind. And I just I kept going and going and going and going with it. And then all of a sudden, boom. You know, yeah. getting that phone call, it was quite emotional. And at the same time, knowing that you can mold energy into anything you want. And, you know, being energetic beings that we are, you know, mm-hmm. we're constantly molding our reality through our, our thoughts and our emotions. That's why That's... so many people are fucked up these days because they can't control their yeah. emotions. 
Yeah. They, when you can't control your emotions, you can't control shit. You're out. Hundred percent. You're, 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 you're out of control. It's all about being yeah. in the center, right? So. Hundred percent agree. So I don't hang out with a lot of people. I'm an in- introverted extrovert. So true. Yeah, you and Mike. You and Mike share that space, man. You and Mike share that space for sure. I know. That's why we do, we're best friends, and we hardly see each other just on like <laughs> on, on, on podcasts like this. Yeah, and then I get to shoot the Scheisenhoven about a little bit about my life. Yeah. So how many countries? How many countries have you biked across? Uh, nine in total now. I did Cambodia three times, Vietnam twice, Thailand, uh, Canada. Um, yeah, but nine countries in total. Uh, yeah, uh, I was gonna do China, but it wouldn't let me in. <laughs> Seriously, so, here, here's so why this is so important for Canada in sixty days. So here's why this is so important for someone like me to really make it a point to get this message out because. You said something earlier. You said that um, uh, I'm stupid to think that I can change the world. I don't think that's the case. I think every individual on the planet should think that they can change the world. I think every person that walks the face of the earth, wherever you are, whatever you do, me and Mike have had this conversation many times um, about an individual making dramatic impact and profound change and inspiring people that are around them to kind of chase and do the same thing. Um, I think that's a huge deal. And I think that's one of the most important characteristics about who you are as a person. We've only had one meeting, but just from the way that you share, the energy that you share when you're with, with people and the things that you share about yourself without holding back, I don't think you realize how important that is because... There are so many people that hide the dark parts of themselves, the parts that aren't flattering, the parts that aren't something that they can, you know, shine about. And the fact that you dive into that right away when you meet people is a really profound thing to do because I think what it does, it takes off any mask that you may present unknowingly to people. I got nothing to lose. And it disarms them. Uh, You know, look, I have absolutely nothing to lose but lies. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So why would I want to, you know, like, uh, I, I, if I don't speak my truth, and my truth is is owning up to certain things that I've done in my life that aren't exactly, like, honest, yeah. you know, then I'm not being true to myself. And so, and so I will agree that, you know, one person can have an impact on many millions of people if they get to that platform and have that opportunity. And so um, I've been very, very blessed yeah. um, to, you know, done a couple of TED Talks on mental health, on, on and, well, look, divine intervention, you know, going across Cambodia, getting the pardon, and then delivering a TED Talk. And I've never even t- had a keynote speech. I, 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 or I've never taken uh, public speaking courses in my life. Mm-hmm. And, That's- um, so that, that was, this fell on my lap. I never applied. And I would love to get my own speaking platform going with guys like you. And, you know, you just keep it real. You can wear sandals and a hat and a tank top or no shirt. And you get, you know what? You got a DJ going. You get the fans. You know, there's no fans. Everyone's all having fun together. Fuck, that means I'm going to DJ if you're getting the DJ going. Well, yeah, I'll bring my dancing shoes. Hey, uh, as we're doing this, I want to show people your uh, trailer for this because I think this was awesome. Right. It was so good. So for those of you just watching, this is the trailer for an upcoming docu on uh, Ryan Phillips' life.
No, this was already uh, out. This was already. <laughs> this out. is what you did. It's already out. This was for before. Did you cut this up? Because I haven't even seen this. Redemption, baby. Oh, holy shit. Oh, gratuitous nudity. <laughs> oh, you got the tribal, the, the, the tribal tats, too. Journey to redemption. I had no clue. All I know is I had a lot of fun doing this film. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> As you can tell. And there's the reward right there for doing the best you can to be the best you can. Is that your daughter? Yeah, that's my daughter. So how how, how does she, how does she feel about your experience? Very accepting, and you know what? It's my daughter and I have a wonderful relationship. I'm very, I'm truly blessed, absolutely, truly, truly, and utterly blessed. Uh, I haven't mm -hmm. seen her in a few years, and you know she's gone through her hardships, but mm -hmm. she's, uh, she, you know what? She keeps me going. She keeps me going. Yeah, it's amazing, man. Amazing stuff. Great that you you were able to do it. Like that was one of Ryan's uh, like greatest accomplishments. I think of everything that he's done is becoming a, a father. Mm -hmm. You know, through all the hard shit that you had to go through, dude, and all of the like hoops that you had to climb through. Like, fuck, just knowing you, bro, it's a real honor, man. Like seriously, you know, to really know you, Ryan, and to see how you've been growing over the last few years. Like Ryan and I met in some weird chances and it's been like whatever but we created we had a brotherhood from the beginning absolutely and, uh, yeah and it's cool that we're actually in, embarking on this next little project and mission together so and all of us you know what i mean like it's good man it's really good so ryan what is uh what is the so far in your life like can you give us like the most miraculous story like when I say miraculous, like, what is something that's happened to you that's been, like, just mind-blowing to you? Like, I can't even believe that this happened. And it doesn't have to be bad, but it's something that has happened over the last little bit, you know, due to all, all of your adventures. Because you've you know been on some pretty crazy adventures, man. I've been on some pretty crazy adventures. I'm going to have to say it, uh, I'll, I'll do two. One from the, uh, the kind of past-past, and yeah. then one from, like, kind of the uh, immediate um, going across Canada in a different way, uh, well, tr to Toronto, uh, to, to be specific. And doing that television series was the most taxing endeavor, even, even harder on my nervous system and even harder on my mentality, uh, on my psyche, everything, my mental health, um, physical, spiritual, everything was to travel with a crew and film, uh, True Redemption, the TV series. Um, I know it's going to work out great. Uh, I know it's going to lead into Redemption City in June. We already know all that. I mean, that's mm -hmm. great. You know, but um, I was scared. I was really, really scared um, because I knew that you, you only get one shot at yeah. certain things like this. And when you, you know, when Theron Flurry invites you over to his house, it's an honor. You know, it's a guy that yeah. had over a thousand points in the NHL, over a point. Amazing. Game. He should be Amazing. in the Hall of Fame. 
you know, yeah. 17 years sober. He's had hell, hell and back, hell and back. And yeah. to sit beside Theron and share each other's life experiences and, and, and to be humbled enough to know that he watched my National Geographic show. He, he yeah. you know, like he, we've kind of been back and forth for the past few years. And to finally meet in person was a cool thing. And then, you know, meet, seeing Elvis again, uh, you know, on his private island uh, in Ontario was a blessing. He doesn't have people there. I was, you know, the first civilian other than his wife and the person that lived there before him. And, uh, to, and just so to, to capture the absence of everything, but to be part of that. Uh, and then the, to, to test the test of the resiliency yeah. of the human spirit. And I'm still recovering. I'm, in reco I'm a little bit tired, but like, you got to keep going. That's the thing. It's like, you know, it's there like, may be I've, people, been it's hard. I've been on the redemption plan for quite some time now. And well, there may be, there may be people watching that, um, that don't know who Elvis Doiko is. Um, yeah. We got some young people in the house. Um, yeah. Just give a quick breakdown as to who Elvis Doiko is. He was the first guy that did a backflip on figure skates. He made figure skating cool for, uh, I'll say this, I'm not, I don't have a racist or gay bone in my body, and it doesn't matter, but he made figure skating cool for people that weren't gay. And uh, he looked he, he looked great in spandex. Yeah. <laughs> so, but he's a wonderful human being. Yeah. You know, both him and Theron, they, you know, they're not attached to their identity, and that's what I love the most about them. Mm. Uh, that you can have conversations candidly, just like we're having right now with them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he was he was big, man. He did a backflip back in the day. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. He yeah, like curly curly oh. perm going on. Oh yeah, that's he's... Just, that. Theron Flurry Doc is one of the most painful things I've seen. Yeah, I can feel you can feel it on him when you're sitting beside him too. Oh yeah, absolutely incredible what he went through. Yeah, it was very very hard to watch, and um, I think with Theo Flurry, the thing that people don't get the amount of success that he had was how small he was. Oh God, he's just a little guy now. Like five four, five five, five five. Five five and a thousand yeah. points in an NHL career. It's so weird. I'm watching this video. And I'm like, that's my buddy. That's what we were circling <laughs> right there. He was like the Canadian legend. Like, I yeah. think he comes. The back foot comes up here in a second. So, yeah, he broke. He broke boundaries for sure for Canadian figure skaters. Oh nice yeah. Stuff. Here it is. God, it's so pretty to watch. He got a concussion uh, practicing for that. Really bad. There it is. Right here. Oh, no. triple Lindy or whatever. Triple, triple Axel. Or <laughs> the triple Lindy the is the uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Triple Lindy. Didn't um, yeah. Oksana Bayul do a backflip as well? Elijah? Oksana Bayul. Didn't she do a backflip as well? I don't know, but one of his buddies does the backflip and front flips and all this kind of stuff. It's pretty killer. Crazy athletes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, press passes that when he was when they were here for the uh, Stars on Ice. So, oh wow, that's uh, I was cool. Goof off. I was downstairs in the bowels of Roger's place trying on uh, figure skating uh, outfits. <laughs> you were in there trying yeah, figure skating. Yeah, I got some I'll save you some pictures. It's pretty funny. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, I do weird shit. Well, you know, but that's part of what we do, man. We do weird shit. Like, we're well, kids of the 90s, you know what I mean? Kids of the 90s do weird shit. We always have. The weirder you are, the more I like you. 
There it is. Boom! Backflip. Wow. Backflip. And they never really even appreciated it back then, how hard that shit was. And I think right? being from the 90s gives us a little bit of, um, gives us a little bit more freedom and um, kind of gives us a little bit of a longer leash as far as what we're willing to say, what we're willing to do, because we come from a time where we had no limitations on our expression. If you were a teenager in the 90s, you could say whatever you wanted to, whenever you wanted to, whomever yeah, you wanted true. to, and you could get away with it. So coming into this generation of ultra censorship and ultra control of speech, we are still kind of coming from that place where you can't really tell us what to say. We're going to say what we want to say. And I think that sure. really separates us from everything else that's happening right now. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, you look at the gap, at the generation gap. And motorcycles, it's actually quads here and there. He actually races Audi <laughs> sports cars or like racing cars. That's what Julian loves motorbikes. Julian loves motorbikes. He's cool. a motorcycle so, maniac. You know, um, this generation gap, you know, the 30 year olds, the 31 year olds. I mean, I almost I feel sorry for them because they're caught in the they're caught. Where it's like they don't know whether they're in the in the 90s or the, or the, or the two thousand. They don't know where they are, and all yeah. these young kids. It's like, you know, I mean, 12 and 13 year olds. I mean, God, if I went to high school back then, what a different story that would have been. I mean, they're dressed like 25 year olds now, for crying out loud. <laughs> and it's the parents that allow it. You know, um, I'm not saying it's wrong or right. I'm just saying mm -hmm. that like things are. There, there, there's no individualism these days as much, you know, people that like, yeah. to, you know, I've always been one to, that likes to separate themselves from the crowd and be different. Facts. You know, yeah. like I ran my business differently than everybody else. I, I've, I've always, you know, I, I just, I don't, I've never wanted to be a follower. All right, well, so, because, oh, go ahead. Say what you're going to say. Um, yeah. It's just on that speaking. So I have my daughter sitting across me right now and um, she's 15 years old. Oh. And um, the Chappelle show pushed boundaries in an outrageous way. And I, sh I showed her the Chappelle show. And there were a couple of instances where they gratuitously used the N-word. And her mouth just drops open like, they said that? But when we watched the Chappelle show, it was just humor. It was just funny. Yeah. But yeah. they've been so sanitized of free yeah. thinking and thought. That anything that goes against what they're told is unacceptable is like wow. Well, look, I got a half black granddaughter. My my, my daughter was on the streets for a couple of years, and her uh, her mm. baby's uh, father, who's in the he's in prison right now for a few years. Mm. He's he, he's black, and look, skin deep. Same heart, heart heart surgery on a white guy as a purple guy as the orange guy as a black guy as whatever. You know what? Yeah. We don't choose our color coming in, and we all we mm. know is we burn the same color if we get cremated when we die. And, yep. you know, and we push up daisies or we don't. So, um, you know, I I just I I've I, I've never been one to I I I, I think probably to my father. My father had more ethnic people in his life than than, mm -hmm. than Caucasians. Uh, you know, like yeah. I don't even like that word ethnic. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, different ethnic ethnicities. Uh, my speech is going on. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, look, one love, one world, one. You know, and we're all connected through the web, especially now too, right? So it's like, yeah. you know, what, I, and I'm gonna like use a certain slang because I'm a certain color. It's like you don't talk like that, but you're. you're it's like, you know what I mean? Anyone can talk a certain jive. <laughs> 
Jive talking motherfuckers. <laughs> okay, so Ryan, one thing we all have in common, no matter what the color, is the taste in music. Ryan, uh, tell Arif who your favorite rapper is of all time. I, I, you know what? There's no denying it. He's a motherfucking riot. Tupac for sure. <laughs> you just made a day. You just made his day. Yeah. Hot holiday. Do is live high fives when another nigga played your ass. It was said you were sleazy and even easy sleeping around for what you need. But don't be bad for all you niggas enrolling in school. And as the years go by, we can show you because I love you like a sister, but you died too quick, and that's why we called you bitch. I bet you. Bro, I love you, but you're killing me with the N-word, man. Yeah, killing yeah, me with yeah. the N-word. You're killing them. Well, you know what? I'm allowed to. I have a black granddaughter and two pockets. Oh. So, okay. And you know here's, what? Here's, what here's what I'll give you a little bit of pushback on the identity part of it, okay? Opening the door. Okay. You know no, no. It, it's, it's important. <laughs> I think it's important because I think it's it opens up a different kind of conversation. And okay. here's what I'll give you a little pushback on the identity part of it. Here's we all want to identify... How about, again? how about this one? How about this? When I was in prison, I was mm-hmm. the only white guy that was allowed to play with the African Americans, and they That's would get mad deal. at me. They would get mad at me if I didn't say call them the N word, and they called yeah. me the N word too. They used to always call me my N I G G E R Philly. You know what I mean? And I used to, you know, bust rhymes and pock with them and Biggie and you know old like gangster shit. And that's For real. Like, you know, it's like, like you see, it, it's so it is okay to sing the N word because they do. And... Okay, so here's here's what I'm gonna give you some pushback. Okay, okay. So as as someone that identifies as an Indian person that was colonized and moved to Fiji, the way that I see it is so. This as an example, majority of white people can understand where their ancestors came from. They have a direct line to figure out where they came from, what country their par- parents came from, grandparents, so and so, so on and so forth. As someone that identifies as somebody with brown skin, I don't know where my ancestry came from. I don't know where my grandparents, great-grandparents, I don't know their lineage because they were colonized, they were enslaved, they were moved all over the world. So for me and the people that look like me, we are still in the process of figuring out what that identity means. So when we create these subcultures that allow us to speak in a way that is for example, me speaking to another brown person, we have a certain way we talk, we have a certain way we can identify with each other, and we hold that dear to us because we feel like that's something that we created for us. As black people that are rappers or that represent hip-hop culture, and then they use the N-word, they feel like we created this for ourselves. Anybody else that picks it up and uses it is a direct offense to them because in their mind, the only time white people use the word was to create a sale of a body. Okay, now, what about Eminem? When, well, Eminem doesn't use it, right? Eminem's no. been very careful over his career. He's really? he's only used, he's only used it one time in a song. I think he was like 15 years old. He made a stupid song when he called uh, one of his ex girlfriends the N word. But after that, 30 year career, never had one song with the N word. To me, that's pretty spectacular. Right, like that—that's a big deal because you're like you worked for Dr. Dre, who is like the every song that Dre has, he drops the N word in it. So the way I see it, I, I I rap, I make hip hop music, I never use the word, I don't sing the word, I the word is not a part of my vernacular, because I understand when I look at black people and their use of the N word to each other, there's a camaraderie, 
And irrespective of how, how people feel that word affects them directly, that word at one time, you've got to remember, it's the only racial slur in the history of racial slurs that was used to commodify a human as a piece of product to be sold. No other racial slur has that yeah. weight. You call somebody a cracker, a honky, the C word, whatever you want to use, that words have never been used to turn somebody into a product to sell. I think for me, that's the, that's the, that's the biggest difference for me. Interesting. It's an interesting point. It's interesting. Very, yeah, very, it's, it's hard very, to argue that. I, I'm not so big. I don't, I'm not so big. You know, I, I, I don't even, even take that as a pushback uh, because I agree fully. And yeah. all I know is that you have if you if you've been to certain places as mm. I have, and, for sure, uh, and it was used in a certain way as like yeah. you know American I'm, prison. I'm Philly, yeah. I'm, I'm Philly from the underground, from these guys that like talk like that, and I was one yeah. of, they made, they made me one of them. They made yeah, me for feel, sure. They, they, they made me feel comfortable, just like the Mexicans, just yeah. like the natives that take me into their sweat lodge and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. I've, I've mm -hmm. always had a very close affinity to other cultures. That's probably why I've yeah. traveled all over the world because I've, mm -hmm. I've always been interested that I do believe that we're all connected. I do believe that we're, you know, we're, we're all universally one and attached in some way, shape or form. 100% agree. And it, or mm -hmm. else we wouldn't be communicating like this. Now, do That's I fair. think that word is bad and that a white person should use it? Not out of context. So... I mean, um, I, yeah. I never really give it much thought, but I would never say it uh, in a derogatory manner. That's cool. Yeah, and I know, Mike. I, I know, Mike. You've been you've been really good about it. I mean, we've had a lot of conversations about it. You know, even yeah. though you do have some, even though you do have some black in your ancestry, you you make a point to be very cautious and courteous about your use of words. Well, because I'm, I'm, I'm super empath, right? So I know when I'm around you, it's very sensitive. Yeah. But I look at it as like nudity. Nudity in culture is kind of like looked upon, you know what I mean? But you see so much art with nudity in it. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, should we censor that art? Or no, because at the time that was nudity. It was or whatever. It was nothing. You know what I mean? So you still look at it. You still show your kids it. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I think it's one of those uh, those things that it's like whatever. It's art. I look at songs as art. There's a lot of things that have been said in songs over years that nowadays you know you can't you can't mention like talking about women, calling them bitches, like to live crew's whole catalog. Yeah, like like <laughs> yeah. calling a girl a bitch is yeah. totally no yeah, now. You can't. But you still sing it in songs. Yeah. I wonder why they call you bitch. I wonder, you know, like, <laughs> crazy. Pyramid thing. Hate to salt your game. I'm making money on the corner and it needs to change. It was like a mom, mom, love, do was laugh. High fives with another. Play, Joanna. You were sleazy. <laughs> and even easy. Sleep All right. Out. So, wrapping this up, let's let's go to your question, Arif. Let's, uh, let's yes. end this bad boy. And uh, the way Ryan, we do it thank high you for Thank you for coming on, Ryan. We're gonna do some podcasts together, and we'll get some guests on here, and we'll. We really this. appreciate it, guys. I had a really good time. Well, fun. the crazy thing is, Ryan, for your story, man, an hour is not enough. This is like the tip of the <laughs> I, iceberg. Exactly. You know what? This we haven't even night too. I, I enjoy it. It's it's it, yeah, know, man. It's, it's good for the brain.
We yeah. haven't even gotten into like the meat of your motivations and your intentions, which is crazy. But yeah, um, there's a lot of stuff that we can co-create together, and you know, absolutely. And, and you know, it's all about building this. And it's, yeah, you know, man. Um, Definitely. Be the, be, be the brand that you want, right? And that's for sure. I, I believe being different. Yeah, man. I, I I value your time as well. I know it's I know it's uh, right. hard for everyone to get in the same space at the same time. But um, we like to end our podcast with a couple of questions. And for me, my question is: when you pass away and you go on to the afterlife, you get to take three musical artists' entire catalog with you. Only three artists, but you get their whole catalog. Who do you take? Roger Waters, Pink Floyd. Damn. Wow. Uh, you too. Okay. Wow. That's and, white people masturbation music. <laughs> and, and then you and, too. And Tupac. <laughs> Oh, that's what white dudes jerk off to is you too. And I still runner up, Fleetwood Mac. Oh, Fleetwood Mac. Okay. Damn, do some heroin and die. <laughs> that's pretty good. Those are that's good. Nice. I like Mac. I like Mac. Those Mac's good. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Thunder only. doesn't know any of that shit. He's like, "What are you guys singing?" I know, I know, I know. Pink Floyd. I know Pink Floyd. I know you too. Right. I've never heard anything from Fleetwood Mac. I, I, hey, I'm I'm in Sway on the out Sway guys. I loved uh, being on. Oh, no, you got one more question. You're done, oh, right? Okay. One last question. You're out. Bro, what happens when you die? You die, what happens next? Um okay. So I believe that I've had I've died already multiple times through hmm. with drugs and alcohol. And hmm. I've actually I've witnessed my body outside my body. Wow. And wow. I've also been in some like around some serious crime scenes. Mm. Where everything time stands still, and I've literally could see the spirit lifting out of the body, where my whole body was in goosebumps, like, like truth bumps kind of thing. It's a weird wow. experience, you know. And so, what I think happens is that because we're a physical body of made of trillions of cells, mm -hmm. you know, I believe that we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Okay, so right. when our physical apparatus dissipates and goes into the ground or into the sky or wherever the fuck you die. Okay. Um, I believe that your spirit shoots into the ether to join the other spirits. And Jesus. then within that, that spirit can be channeled by another human being to uh, keep, keep, keep the generations flowing, so to speak. Uh, you see Mike's eye roll. His eyes went so far back in his head. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> it's unbelievable. That's pretty good. So, okay. So break that down for me then. So I believe that there's a higher self and a lower self. You got your higher faculties and you got your lower faculties. So your, lo your lower faculties is obviously, you know, you as your intellect and your subconscious mind to me is, 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 is like the connecting link between uh, the finite mind of man and, infinite intelligence where it's like a filing bank so every sense impression is obviously imprinted on the subconscious so um i believe that we can tap when we can tap the source of our subconscious it, and, and it keeps on spinning on that same thought there's no choice for that to like actually transmute itself into its physical or monetary counterpart 
Mm -hmm. Fucking don't understand what you said, but I love the answer, right? <laughs> I love you because only you can give me a fucking deep, profound answer like that. I don't know where and, I came up with that. I must have been channeling Wayne Dyer. Yeah, Stardust. There's something there. Stardust, bro. It's Stardust. Either, right, that bro. That, either that or the guy that opened up uh, Tim Hortons. <laughs> bro, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. We'll get more going in the in the future. You can check out Ryan on Instagram, or you can go to Rise World Tour on uh, on YouTube. You can go to Ryan Phillips. What's your Instagram handle? It's Ryan Phillips eight eight eight. Ryan Phillips triple eight baby. There you go. Right. You can follow him on there. It's always a fascinating follow. And you can watch for Redemption City and uh, and Path to Redemption. All Redemption City. Mike Old. Redemption City. We're going to do it, baby. Amazing. All right. Thanks, guys. Roy. I appreciate it, man. Go get some Great sleep. Great stuff, guys. Much love. Okay. What, uh, and Mike, call me when you're done your cast. Sounds good. All right. Bye. All right. See, see you, man. All right. Well, so that was a good interview with ryan ryan's an interesting guy man and yeah you know, he is he's 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 just one of those guys who will just keep pushing pushing he's like us he's like all mm -hmm. of us he mm -hmm. just wants to have some sort of uh you know he wants to be successful and he wants to be in the industry and he wants to like you know be known for art or for his words you know and it's yeah. good man it's good to have a guy like that on it's inspiring really guy for sure yeah all right, so here come, this is our first episode on StreamYard. I like it. I think we can yeah, get more cool. people on it, and then we can start yeah. hitting up people. And That's it, dude. You got anything else you yeah, want to say before we end the broadcast? Um, I want to shout out right. to everyone that uh, came through and, and watched and paid attention and uh, asked questions. Uh, appreciate you, Julian, for coming through and asking uh, some great yeah, questions Julian. and some comments, and uh, Zach as well, and, of course, your homie, Kel. Um, and I just want to say it is a, a great, great accomplishment that – uh, the racist murderers of Ahmed Arbery are in jail for yeah. life. Those life. three trash bags will never see freedom again. It's pretty good. For me, that's a great way to end it. Awesome. <laughs> Once again, brother, podcast done. High phrase. Keeping it live, keeping it real every single yes. time. Yes. We'll see you again in a couple days with a new guest. Dope. Peace, Mike. Peace out, buddy.